This week on Dig Me Out. Formed the band with drummer Stump Monroe. Wasn't he one of the drummers in Spinal Tap? He might have been. Tim and Jay review Power Trippin' by the Almighty. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it is episode 244, 244 times we have done this, and it doesn't we're get... S- we're still alive. It doesn't get any better than this, Jay. It doesn't get any worse, either. It doesn't get any better. It just kind of floats along at an even keel. Mm. Okay. I'm not sure what any of that means. You're pretty much describing when you get to 40. I am describing 40. Just kind of puttering along, accumulating tools in my garage. <laughs> Picked up a nice router this weekend, so looking forward to working with that. You um, are who you are. Mm-hmm. Just on autopilot. It's just autopilot till death, Jay. Which, by the way, is the name of my next album, Autopilot Till Death. Everybody look for that on iTunes. First single to drop, I bought a new router. And, it, and uh, the mystery, it's a double entendre. It's a, either a internet router or a wood router. Exactly. You play with both themes. You never know which way you're going with it. Right. That's how my, that's how my lyrics roll. Jay, we picked uh, our album. We pick our albums... Um, from week to week based on listener suggestions and then also albums that you and I want to check out. This week happens to be an album that you suggested that we check out. And it's a band called The Almighty and their album Power Trippin' from 1993. That is spelled trippin' with an N apostrophe at the end. No G. Mm. So, Jay, tell me, why did you pick... The Almighty's Power Trippin'. Uh, well, this was a band that I stumbled into in a weird way. Um, my brother-in-law uh, was in bands uh, mm-hmm. in the in the 90s. And they got a gig opening for this band, who I'd never heard of before, and were given a cassette. Um, he didn't really care for it much. He was in the sort of like, you know, straightforward 80s metal bands. So... Sure. He he gave it to me. Um, I started listening to it and really dug it. Ended up going to the show, and you know how people say, "I was the only one at the show." We were literally the only ones at the show. It was me, <laughs> Keith, and my wife, and the other bands were there, but they weren't watching. They were basically like calling in gear and wandering around. You know, there was a bartender, mm-hmm. and the band. So they played first? Yeah. Uh I guess I guess so. Even though they were the headliner, I don't I think I guess they did. Yeah. Um you know, they're from Scotland, so Right. Uh you know, early 90s, not a lot of uh promotional money I suppose going into them and uh they're out on a tour in a country that has no idea who the hell they are. And uh, I think they were trying to, like, you know, put them on bills with local bands to try to get some, you know, crowds in there. But, yeah, it was like a Tuesday night or something crazy. And 
So anyway, I saw him live. We just stood like center stage up front. It just they basically did a personal concert for me, Keith, and my wife. Um, so anyway, I really dug the record. Um, it was one of those, you know, <clears throat> probably the last. It may have been the last cassette that I that I had that I really listened to a lot. I think I, from this point, you know, forward, it was all CDs for me. Mm-hmm. So that may have had something to do with why I liked it so much. Just because you know, with cassettes, it was you'd throw it in, and if it was the only cassette in your car, it was already in the tape deck. You'd just leave it there because you're too lazy to take it out. And uh, you know, I found uh, that era, era of music, even though it was severely flawed in many ways, that that was one thing that was uh, sometimes interest, sometimes interesting, and that I think you'd gain an affinity for a particular album just because uh, it was stuck in your tape deck. <laughs> right. So um, he's gone on, the singer uh, Ricky Wark has gone on to front, uh, he had a solo career and now he fronts First Led, uh, Thin, Thin Lizzy and now they're called Black Star Riders. So thought it'd be interesting to go back and just see if I like this record now as much as I did then. And uh, I was curious to see what you thought of it. Well, we're going to get into that, but first, Jay, we have to get into the actual history of this band. History of the band. You mentioned that they were from Scotland, uh, Strathaven, Scotland, to be precise. They formed in January of 1988. As you mentioned, lead singer Ricky Warwick uh, formed the band with drummer Stump Monroe. is a great name for a drummer. Uh, bassist wasn't he one of the drummers in Spinal Tap? He might have been. One Stump that, Monroe, the one that uh, uh, exploded. No, I think his arm was bitten off by a crocodile mid-set. Is what happened to Stumpy. You're right, Stumpy Peeps. Yeah, Stumpy Peeps. Uh, bass bassist Floyd London, and uh, they were the three of them were friends at school, and they had previously played together in a band called Rough Charm. They were joined by guitarist Andy Tantrum McCaffrey to complete the lineup. They produced a demo and ended up signing to Polydor in 1989, recorded their first album, Blood, Fire, and Love, which was released in October of that year. Their second album, Soul Destruction, was released in March of 1991. It was produced by Andy Taylor of Duran Duran. Interesting. Really? Hmm. Yes. In March of 92, so about a year later, there were internal differences in the band, and Andy Tantrum McCaffrey left the band. Not sure if it was a tantrum or if it was a civil parting, but he was replaced by Canadian guitarist Pete Friesen, who had previously played with Alice Cooper. Yeah, he's in um, the Wayne's World movie that Alice Cooper's in. He's featured in that movie. Okay. A couple scenes. So April 93, they released Power Trippin', the album we're going to check out. It's their first album with Pete Friesen on guitar. And it charted at number five in the UK. So their fourth album, Crank, was released uh, in late 1994 on Chrysalis Records. Chrysalis. Chrysalis. Never know how to pronounce that correctly. Always Always make a mistake there. Uh, their fifth album, Just Add Life, was released in 1996. 
And later that year, the band broke up. As you mentioned, uh, Ricky Warwick went on to do some solo work. The band got back together in 2000 and released the self-titled album um, with Nick Parsons replacing Pete Friesen on guitar. A year later, they released Psycho Narco with new bassist Gav Gray replacing longtime bassist Floyd London. They once again broke up, and Ricky Warwick went back to his solo career. In 2006, they got to back together the original lineup of Ricky, Stump, Floyd, and Pete to play a couple of shows. But two years later, November of 2008, Floyd announced he was leaving the band, and the band has been on hiatus ever since. Um, although they did do like a reunion show like a one-off that's it for the almighty if you have an album you'd like to suggest for us to review please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com we got some feedback on this record uh, over at digmeoutpodcast.com Stephen Fraser chimed in he said I remember this band very well and the first album Soul Distortion and the song Free and Easy and Jesus, I love you. Jesus loves you, but I don't. And read a whole interview with Ricky, the frontman in Classic Rock Magazine uh, that was on sale in the UK. So apparently, we need to check out that interview with Rick, with Ricky uh, in Classic Rock Magazine. Alex Gibson over at our Facebook page said, "Saw them on a bill when Metallica played the Milton Keynes Bowl, Keynes Bowl in 1993. I'd heard them. I didn't like them." And seeing them live didn't change my mind. If you want a properly British rock record from the 90s, try Earth vs. the Wild Hearts. Baby Chaos supported them in 1994, which might pique your interest. So there we have uh, some interesting feedback on the record, Jay. Yeah, I think they were a band that uh, my take on it was that, as often happens in the U.K., uh, in, in regardless of the genre almost, it seems like a lot of young bands quickly get um, hype. And I felt like when I go back and listen to the first record, the record, there's one record before this one, right? Uh, two. This is their third record. Okay. So the early stuff to me sounds like a completely different band. Like, not quite sure who they are yet. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in the way that um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of UK bands that are like that. What this Manchester Preachers kind of comes to mind, like where the first record, <clears throat> record and a half, maybe two records. It's it's, it's more derivative. It's less. Um, you, there's something there, but it's not quite figured out yet. Right. And then by the third record, they really kind of get their feet under them and define themselves. And that's was kind of my take on this band too, that this was the record where it all kind of came together, at least for me. I, I think the feedback we got both sound like they may have been from um, folks from the UK, which is a little skewed because in America, this band is completely unknown. Right. Um, whereas I think over there, they had some marginal notoriety of, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the goal here wasn't to just pick one, one UK hard rock band we'll uh we'll get to the wild hearts at some point this isn't in place of them that's for sure no I, 
we're going to get there eventually. Um, this was just one that I think you had been tossing out for a while, and we finally went, all right, let's just put it on the calendar. This is the the first pick either either of us have done. Uh, is it all year or at least for a long time? Right? Um, it, it might be. The next one coming up is my pick. So this might be the first or might maybe the first, the first or season. second pick of the season that we've actually gotten to yeah. pick one. So yep. let's actually talk about the record and uh, yep. about power tripping. So you suggested, so I'll, I'll give you some, some feedback on it. Uh, I can't say that I, I completely disagree with, uh, with Alex's, uh, take it's not a matter of liking them or not liking them it's a matter of uh i guess when i heard the record the first time i kind of went okay this sounds familiar like i can kind of see where the influences are and you know it's 93 so a lot of bands that were two or three albums into their career um you know might make this record in in 1993 uh as you know 90 192 is like the sort of transition years from out of 80s metal into into grunge. Um, well, we still had some bands, you know, from that era. But now, you know, as you said, that this band didn't sound like this prior, and a lot of that has to do, I believe, with with uh, Pete Friesen joining the band, who had been in Alice Cooper's band, and, and from what I read, he was instrumental in a, in a lot of the guitar part writing. Uh, in terms of bringing a lot of the riffs to the band. Um, what's interesting is that uh, if you look at the credits for this record, Del James is credited to for two of the songs, um, who is the muse of Alex or of uh, Axel P. Rose, mm-hmm. or W. Axel Rose, excuse me, on which, um, which, Use Your Illusion song, 1 and 2. Which song's on here? Uh, Over the Edge mm. and Instinct. Treks 3 huh. and Treks 10 are both credited to Warwick and Del James. I have um, Guns N' Roses in my notes several times, but not on not on those two songs. Well, and that's that's where I was kind of getting at, where I was bringing in the Del James, because, you know, this is a band that in the wake of Use Your Illusion, when we had our, you know, previous discussions on Mother Love Bone and, and, and Guns N' Roses about alternate universes, in the 1990s based on you know how things had played out you know this is this is a band that sounds perfectly at home could have been opening for guns on that tour or at some point during that tour which was like five years long um you know there are parts of this record that sound like parts of those records and um but to me they also sound a little derivative of those parts um and derivative of uh, some bands from the early '90s that I, I read a lot of comparisons to, say, like the first Alice in Chains record in terms of the riff writing and the and the, and the riff and the guitar playing on this record, I failed to, um, I guess, step out of the shadows of those better bands. Like there were some interesting parts. Um, I enjoyed some of the lyrical turns, like "Jesus Loves You," but I don't. And there's some other ones that were. Had some interesting lines, but overall, I kind of found it to be, I don't know, it just kind of sat there for me, and it didn't really, you know, I listened to it a couple times, 
tried to make some notes about okay what stood out, stood out for me and there was nothing really that was like that was an amazing guitar part or that was a really cool this or that it just kind of all was kind of flatlined for me as being not terrible and not unlistenable but just kind of generic is the word i would use hmm. so tell well, me i'm wrong well i think um I, i'm totally biased because i'm you know listened to this a ton when it came out so to me a lot of this was uh very original in that uh there was no yes at times you can hear an Allison chains influence with the the drop you know down tuning uh, a lot of bands were playing with that mm-hmm. but they maintain their uh especially with the drums there's a thrash aesthetic here and there's also a a pretty decent motorhead tradition of of punk and metal at times um mixed in on some of these songs and then there's a uh, an element of just melodic hard rock, you know, uh, say Sonic Temple era, the cult. Um, and I like that on the best songs on the record, they blend all those, those elements together into one song. And uh, it shifts and turns, even within the same riff, I feel like. Track one, Addiction, the main riff, I think has a really cool balance of there's kind of a major feel and a minor feel. Um, or... There's a, um, see, some other songs where they'll, the riff will start off and have um, maybe more of an open chord, more hard rock feel, and then it'll get mute, more muted and simple and turn into, it's the same chords, but it'll turn into a uh, more of a, you know, a, a down, uh, you know, at that time, modern, you know, Alice Chains feel. So, uh, I, I really enjoyed at the time the blending of the elements. To me, it fit me and where I was in terms of all the things that I had come from and was interested in at the time. So um, I responded to it in that way. Um, I still think vocally then and now, I think he's pretty original voice. I mean, there's nothing here where you're like, oh, my, you know, like jumping out of your seat. But when you listen to his voice, it doesn't really... Uh, it's not derivative of anybody else. I mean, he's not singing like Lane Staley. Um, they do some some harmonies or some doubling of vocals at times that you get a, a little flavor of Alice in Chains, but um, they quickly pivot. Um, and I think for the most part, he sings like himself, like it or not. <laughs> uh, now you can now that he's you know in a band with former members of Thin Lizzy, you can kind of hear a little bit of that influence more now than I did at the time as well. You know, there's some cool bluesy things here and there, but not overtly, you know, blues. Yeah. Um, like out of season has some, uh, has a cool guitar riff that's bluesy, but then the drums are, even the production of the drums are like very thrash metal sounding, which is kind of a cool uh, contrast.
And when it comes to a band like, um, you know, I definitely want to do uh, a review of uh, the Wild Hearts, but I mean, to compare the two bands, I always felt like I want to dig into it. Obviously, it's not fair to critique them completely on this, but when this band gets heavy to me, it sounds completely authentic. When sometimes when the Wild Hearts gets heavy, it sounds like a pop band trying to appeal to heavy metal fans. Um, but this band, I don't know. It just feels like who they are, and it, you know, seeing them live, it didn't. Uh, I mean, just from the drums alone. I mean, this is the way the guy plays. You know, there's a lot of cool double bass stuff in here. Um, I always found it a fun album to desk drum to. <laughs> you know. Uh, there's a lot of accents and cool twists and turns and uh, almost to the point where there's a couple songs in here now when I revisited it, they sound a little cut and, I don't want to say cut and pasty, but almost a little forced in terms of the amount of dynamics that are going on. Um, mm-hmm. But there's always cool accents, which, um, you know, I I don't think the Wild Hearts push, in, hit, push enough in terms of, um, you know, drum parts that are really interesting and just... Uh, guitar parts that are contrasting each other and doing different things and so I don't know I, fi- I find this uh, to me at least this record to be uh, actually more unique and interesting than than what I think of as Wild Hearts so but I don't know it, it's it's very personal probably just because it, it put together a bunch of pieces of the puzzle that that I was familiar with and and enjoyed going back and listening to it you know it's <clears throat> it's definitely dated in some ways um i think there's a couple songs on on here that hold up pretty well still but there's others that um not so much it's also hard because you know the downtune riff thing we've heard it so much since since then right you know in 93 it was it was a pretty cool thing to hear especially done in this way where it was you know it wasn't uh slow uh it was a lot of tempo stuff like a song like uh possession you know, a little faster, but it's still got the Alice in Chains kind of riff going on. It, it approaches more of, to me of like a corrosion of conformity 90s sound than a, than really a, uh, you know, straight Chains Addiction band. So it was cool to hear the, um, you know, the tempo maintained, but have the heaviness of uh, some of the bands that were coming out at the time. Here's where I'm struggling is like with a song like Addiction the the main riff with that they play underneath the underneath the verses that sort of carries the verse to me sounds like it sounds like a super generic it's that dun 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 like that's that's well that's what i mean riffing 101 you know what i mean yeah, like but, but in 1993 it wasn't <laughs> that's what i'm saying like now we hear it and we're like oh okay I've heard a bunch of bands do that since then. We've heard 30 years of bands do that or 20 years, but to, to me like in 1993 it was like holy shit, this is I've never heard this before. Well, I don't know. There were some bands that were like you mentioned like Corrosion and Conformity and and Alice in Chains was already well established by that point and right, but now like, when you turn on the radio every band sounds like Sure. That. Um <laughs> then there to were me, eight. A, a or, song that know, works 12. better that, that that to me is successful on this record, minus the extra long intro that doesn't need to be there is taken hold. 
which I think works really well with that group shouted chorus and it's on tempo. And I, I wish that there, it has more of a, um, almost reminds me of, um, something that like, like a heavier version of like Swedish rock from the late nineties, you know, backyard babies or something like that. Like it has like a, that kind of vibe, but just like meteor, uh, in the in guitars and drums and stuff like that. But it, I, that to me is a song that works really well because I'm not a huge thrash fan when it comes down to it. You know, I like some Metallica, but I, I'm not, I don't love Metallica and I never got into any of the other bands from that genre. So when this band does play, you know, like a song like, um, I guess Power Trippin' would be in that vein of the thrash like that yeah, to me to, is to me that's a motorheads that's a motorhead song okay i mean just listen to the riff and you know, the chorus is power tripping power tripping i mean it's pretty much the motorhead formula which is the precursor to thrash really right motorhead's yeah, the, the influence yeah. on all those bands yeah i would say they're the one of the primary influences for thrash sure okay it's it's you know it's heavy metal punk sure so and and not that you know there there were things that worked better and things that didn't. Um, there's nothing that made me like roll my eyes and go, "Oh, this is awful." There were just and you know obviously we're doing this 22 years after the fact. So yeah, there are these riffs now that are completely and utterly driven into the ground by their you know overuse, and now they sound dated. Um, as I mentioned, you know, like addiction being one of them. I, I, there are bits here and there that, you know, like what taken hold that I do like, but I just could not find myself like wanting to invest more than what I was already investing into it. Like it didn't make me go, Oh, now I gotta go check out the rest of this catalog see what this is all about. Yeah. And despite me liking this record at the time, um, I lost track of the band and honestly haven't listened to any of the records after this. Because it seemed like they put out a, a number of them in succession, succession right after that. Yeah, they did. I mean, they were. I don't know that any of those came out in the U.S. at the time. I think they've all been reissued and whatnot. But um, so, I mean, this wasn't an easy record to find either. So, um, I don't think the and this was probably the one that got the promoted the most. I don't think the others uh, saw much of, even saw the light of day here uh, initially. You know, I, I dug the, uh, I'm revisiting it. I mean, I, I dug Sick and Wired. Um, that was a song that uh, I thought was really strong melodically, had some really cool parts in it. It, it definitely felt like uh, I could hear the Guns N' Roses influence, which had never occurred to me before. It sounds stupid, but that, that's just a band at the time I just didn't think of as being um, influential. But you know, I think this this song, you can definitely hear it.
another song that kind of it sounded like if uh lifeblood uh was another song where it's essentially at the core of it a guns and roses style riff but they mm-hmm. play it more muted and heavier probably because it's be tuned down so it gets um a different feel but i think at its core you know you could hear slash playing that riff right what'd you think of um uh, jesus loves you but i don't like i said i, I like the the lyrical turn mm-hmm. it's you know when it's like a, i think it's like a six eight swing sort of um which is uh always a tricky beat to or tempo to play in because you kind of get locked in this sort of kind of dancey groove yeah. but um they pull it off pretty well i i I always struggle with um, a band that's this heavy doing a song with acoustics. Mm. You know, when it comes in heavier towards the latter half of the song, um, I almost wish that they had just played with clean electrics rather than acoustics. Um, It almost feels like they conceded, well, we got to play the acoustics because this is kind of the almost the ballad. Hmm. So it didn't necessarily. So a little. It's a little long for me. Um, at six minutes, I, I dug the structure when I revisited it. I didn't realize um, initially uh, how it was. It was structured. I kind of appreciated that. There's a couple things that they do that I like. One is the first verse. He's he's kind of back on the beat. He's very relaxed vocally. Um, with, with, with that six eight feel. It, it works pretty well. But then the second verse, he starts to get on top of it and changes up the phrasing a little bit, which I think is clever in terms of it starts to build momentum. And then they bring in the full band, right? And they kind of mm-hmm. play. I think the third verse is all fully electric. But you don't really hear, and there's like a pre-chorus they go to, but it's not really a chorus until it's almost like, what, four minutes into it? They finally get to the that Jesus loves you, but I don't refrain. And mm-hmm. which is essentially the chorus. And you're at that point, you know, they've built, you know, up from a simple acoustic to getting on top of the acoustic, to bring in electric instruments, to, you know, full blown, you know, big chorus, you know, Jesus loves you, but I don't kind of playing off that, paying off that, that lyric as well at that point which I appreciated. Um, so I, from from that aspect, I dug the understanding how they put that song together and, and not getting, I mean, it, it's weird. Like I could see what you're saying, like them saying, all right, let's put it, you know, this is our ballad. Let's put an acoustic song on here. But it's not structured like a power ballad and it's not really even structured like a pop song. Um, it sounded like one of the listeners implied this was maybe played on the radio or it was a single or something which is interesting in that it's six minutes long and they don't get to the chorus until almost four or four and a half minutes into the song <laughs> well they're following the don't stop believing format you don't get to the chorus of that song until the end of true. it true maybe that's so they, clearly they were like well we gotta we're gonna go with the don't stop believing structure for this one guys <laughs> yeah so anyway I, I i dug that i dug the bass playing on this record i don't know you probably didn't notice but um he was a really good bass player like he's doing all of this cool movement um there's a lot of songs that um i guess as it as uh 
I don't want to say a kid. I guess let's just say I was a kid when I when I listened to it the first time. I didn't understand the complexity of what was going on. I thought it was all guitar, but now when I listen to it, sometimes the guitars are fairly simple, but it's the bass that's uh, providing the movement underneath, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of cool. And then there was one other song I wanted to mention. Let's see here. Is it Meat Hook? Because I wanted to talk about that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had some notes on that, but it was out of season maybe. I don't know. There's one where... I guess you hear this a lot on a lot of the choruses. Melodically, the choruses aren't, you know, overly complex. Um, sometimes they're just gang-style vocals or double vocals just saying right. what the song is. But some of them get fairly hooky and melodic, and it's not necessarily the vocal all the time doing that. There's a cool interplay where the guitar uh, changes and, and melody is playing it's providing the hook with the vocal at the same time which is kind of cool um and i think a lot of times you just you know bands will just play chords and they rely on the vocal to provide all the hook melody but there's some nice complimenting guitar and vocals to create the hooks and then mead hook has got uh to me it's got some awesome double kick drums and um i think the second half of the record gets a little more into the um the heavier side, I guess, or the more straight up, you know, faster uh, rock stuff. Meat Hook's intro and verses sound like they could have been off of Helmet's Betty album. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that is a, that's a pretty aggressive sounding song compared to a lot of the record. I mean, the, 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 the way that the drums and the bass and the guitars are all locked up, that's with those you know, pauses in the verses is a very helmet sounding thing to do. I love that he does the. Um, there's a bunch of cool like double kick drum accents in there. It's like da dum da dum da dum. You hear the you hear the kick drum be like, you know that kind of stuff, which is I don't know. To me, if you're gonna play riffs that simple, it's awesome because you get the power. But then when you do things like that, it just makes it interesting. The 600th time you listen to the song, <laughs> you're like, right? There's something still there that you can appreciate. But I mean, those are. I feel like the second half of the record after taking hold, um, maybe out of season, I think Lifeblood, Instinct, Meat Hook, Eye to Eye tend to be more, I don't know, crank them up in the car and don't play a whole lot of attention and just drive fast. Sure. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not the, from a songwriting standpoint, not the best uh, material on the record, but uh, just, I don't know, fun rockers, performance songs. Sure. If we're going to... Go 80 to Lockhart. You might as well crank this. <laughs> uh, let's talk about our overall ratings on this record. Were the album better EP or decent single? Jay, you suggested it. Tell me where are you at. I'm at an I'm at an album. 
I, I just, I don't know. I'm so attached to this record. I'm so familiar with it that it's difficult for me uh, to separate myself. So I had a blast going back and revisiting it. I don't know how much I'll listen to it after this, but it was fun to go back and it's like seeing an old friend, you know, you shoot the shit and it's fun to whatever, catch up, but you're not necessarily going to be uh, hanging out every weekend. I'm a little bit harsher on this. I'm dangling between a single and an, and an EP. Probably at an EP. I like Taken Hold and Meat Hook and Over the Edge. I think Over the Edge has a strong chorus um, that pairs well with Taken Hold. That's three songs. I think that's probably it. If I had to, if I had to pick one of the mellower songs, I think I'd go Without a Season as maybe the fourth song to mellow it out, but yeah, I just struggled with some of the stuff sounding, you know, to my ears now 30 years late, 30 years, 22 years later. Jesus, it will be 30 years soon. Um, just uh, sounding a bit on the uh, generic side for me. So didn't uh, didn't make as much of an impact as I was hoping. So maybe I'm wrong and maybe our listeners will tell me that, uh, Jay, you're the one who is correct in this particular instance and they can do so by going to our facebook uh twitter and i've recently started posting over on instagram as well when we have episodes uh putting up artwork and pictures and whatnot so feel free to leave us some feedback at those locations and as always dig me out uh podcast.com next week it's another review jay it's a pick that i made so back to back picks and I'll, and I'll be p- completely forthright or forthright yeah uh i picked it based on one song i only knew one song off the album that i picked okay we're gonna we'll find see. out together if it's a good record we'll find out yeah uh folks out there if you like what you heard please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at itunes and uh if you have an album you would like to suggest for us to review head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and uh, put in your suggestion for Jay, um, Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Time to-